0: Everybody, we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. I'm so glad you're here with us today. We have an incredible guest. Her name's Boom Shika, and she hosts the Millionaire Hippie Podcast, among other incredible things. But before we talk to Boom, just need you to do a few things for me. Just a few things. I ask this every time, but we've got to grow this podcast. Booms information, all these other guests, positive information needs to get out there to more people. That's how we change the world. That's how we raise the frequency of humanity. That's how we create heaven on Earth. Instagram, follow me on Instagram. At midnight. underscore. On, underscore Earth. That's the address. Go there. Please follow us. Spotify. We're on Spotify. Please follow us on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, wherever you find podcasts. If there's a button that says join, follow, please click that for us. (laughs) I would deeply appreciate it. And, of course, the most important thing, the final thing, tell a friend. Please tell a friend. Without you telling them, they'll never find out. Actually, they will, but it's going to take them that much longer. You're here to help them. That's why you're their friend. Be their friend. Tell them about Midnight on Earth, midnightonearth.com. <laughs> now, <laughs> we have that out of the way. I would like to introduce you to an incredible woman. Incredible woman. Her name's Boom Shika, and I'm going to read her bio right here. Boom Shika is a serial entrepreneur. Wanderluster, online business owner, yogi, author, and avid meditator. As a practice, she helps people become the best versions of themselves as much as possible. Boom has a podcast called The Millionaire Hippie and also online classes that she teaches. And on, on top of all that, she's a prolific author with currently 29 books available on Amazon. I don't even have one book, 29 books on Amazon. And she has a free private Facebook group and you can find it at www.whatyourfreedomnumber.com. Hello, Boom. How are we doing today?
1: Good. How are you, Jake? I'm really, really excited to be on this podcast today.
0: Thank you so much. I'm really glad you're here. I'm doing well. We're here to teach people, we're here to help people understand abundance and prosperity consciousness. I feel like we're such similar frequency people that this is just gonna be a great conversation that's gonna help conscious people maybe change their relationship with money and, and maybe change their relationship with how they perceive this energy so they can attract more of it into their life and then use it to serve and do these incredible things that they have percolating in their wonderful minds. So I totally agree. yeah. So boom. Tell me, when, as a person, did you start to tap into the abundance mindset? Because I'm sure you were probably always a conscious person, where you were caring and and loving people. But when do you feel like it was? becoming clearer in your life?
1: Mm, That's a good question. It's kind of hard to pinpoint a particular point, obviously, because I think it happens over time. Any kind of change happens little by little, like a drip, drip, drip. And then eventually you're like, all right, I've changed. Um, but i do realize that i've noticed and watched and observed my parents and the way they dealt with money all of my life and i learned a lot of terrible things from them (laughs) on how not to deal with money and i tried to do the opposite so you know how we always are we're like all right i don't like that so i'm going to do the complete opposite of that and so the way they dealt with money was very poverty mindset very much a scarcity mindset is not enough money. There's never enough money. We're all just have to fight for money. There's always a the competition for money and all of that, which is the way a lot of people kind of deal with money in the world right now. And I went the other way. I was like, no, I don't like money. I don't want to deal with money. Money is evil. Money is the root of all all of the evil on the planet. And if we didn't have money, everyone would be much better off. And of course, I went the complete hippie route for the first few years of my life, of my conscious journey. And then I realized that that was causing me to not have enough money to do the things I wanted to do. Barely had enough money to live, obviously. I didn't have enough money to pay for gas for my car or to buy food for lunch or things like that, which is really humiliating at points. But also, I realized that I didn't have enough money to do the things I wanted to do in order to spread my message to the people around me, to the people in, on Earth, on on this planet. So, what do and you think? As I'm, you know,
0: sorry, go on. Oh, I'm sorry, Boom. I didn't mean to interrupt there, but I was just curious. What do you oh. think the root of your parents' scarcity mindset was? Do you think it was a paradigm that maybe was carried over for generations because they lived in poverty? What What was it about their experience? Do you think? Yes, you're
1: exactly right. It is. It was a paradigm that was carried over from generation to generation. And it was because my parents were really poor, extremely poor. Uh, I'm originally from India, uh-huh. so that might give you a little bit of a clue. And if you know anything about India, there's a there's a caste system in India that everyone is part of, even if they want to be or not. And we were from a very low caste in India, which meant that we weren't allowed back then when my parents were younger weren't allowed to own land. They had, they lived in, they weren't allowed to own any kind of real, real estate. They had to live in a barn that the land that they worked for gave to them as a, as a charity thing. And so basically, obviously my grandparents, my great grandparents were, were so poor that every penny counted. And I'm so grateful to them because I mean, I wouldn't be here if they hadn't done what they did, but My parents just kind of grabbed that onto themselves, even though they kind of grew out of it. You know, they had money eventually, so it didn't change their mindset.
0: So they came from this poverty in India because there's so many people there. And like you said, there's caste systems and your family, they were part of a lower caste, probably not the lowest caste, but enough to where they were in poverty. So when the energy of money showed up in their life, they were very much holding on to it and not wanting to let it go because it was so essential to survival. And then that carried on and that became a part of your life unconsciously because you were receiving that programming. Yes, yes, exactly. So, but then when did you become aware of that? Like what, what point in your life did you realize, Oh my God, my parents had really bad programming and they've been giving me really bad programming and I want to unprogram myself.
1: I think it would have to be when I started meeting people who were not programmed exactly the same as my parents and I. And it would have to be when I started traveling a little bit. And I think that's one of the reasons why I recommend travel as a panacea to so many different problems in life, because you do really kind of are pushed out of your box and you start suddenly start seeing the world in a way where you're like, Oh, right. People live differently from me. This is not how I need to live or should live or want to live. I have a choice in the matter. And so when I met people who were completely differently programmed, they had no issues with money and they were they loved money. They were able to earn lots, lots of it without any guilt or any problems like that. And, and you, once and I realized still that, I was like, oh, right,
0: I want that. And you still considered them spiritual people. They were, like, loving and cool, but somehow they were still able to have these large amounts of money and you were, like, noticing, like, wow, this is... A different path. Is that correct?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a good point that you made because there are a lot of people who are rich and who are wealthy and who have money, but they're not necessarily conscious about it. And they're not doing it in a manner where you would say they're spiritual about it either. So yes, the people I met, there were some obviously who were, I'm rich and look at me, how cool I am. But there were many that I met, they were spiritual and they're doing things that they love to do. They had a heart centered business but they were making money in a way that they weren't pillaging the earth or, you know, going one up the person, but they were doing it in a very hard manner and they're still doing it in a way where they were able to get a lot of money without feeling guilty about it or have any kind of negative aspects or any negative feelings about
0: it. So then you started integrating this and would you say the, unprogramming process was hard what are some of the techniques that you did to unprogram yourself and kind of harmonize with with abundance
1: I would say that I'm still in the process of deprogramming like myself <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I think, don't we think we all are I, actually, <laughs> I don't think I'm actually over it yet Jake unfortunately it's so deeply ingrained in me and I, you know what sometimes I'll be like no actually you know I'm I'm in a really good place and I'm over it and then something will happen, it'll trigger me and I'll just kind of go right back into it. So I do know that it it takes a long time to get over that initial programming, especially if you were, you know, if you got got into it when you were a child. But some of the things that I did try that a lot of other people have tried as well, I'm sure, is um, EFT. I tried a lot of emotional freedom techniques. So tapping is one of the things I did. Um, obviously a lot of journaling and a lot of affirmations constantly thinking about money and what it means to me being happy and excited about the bills that come into my life and being excited to pay them and being happy that I have the capacity and the ability to pay them hiring people and giving them money that I, I know that will enhance their life and she makes me feel abundant because, you know, I'm, I'm contributing to their life and also they're contributing to mine. So it's just like a, A brilliant give and take, and obviously, even if I felt like, oh no, there's not enough money, I would still try as much as possible to give 10% of my salary to charity because that kind of it has ripple effects in the world. And I just can't imagine. I just don't want to make money for the sake of making money. Like there's a point of making money, right? Like there's a reason why we're hoarding money, like so that we can do something with it. I hope it's not just so we can store it in a bank account and, and just die with it, right? So I want to give back to the world in a certain way, and I wanted to make sure I did it in a way that was sustainable. So these are some of the things I tried.
0: So you're saying things like tapping, emotional freedom techniques, and also paying a tithe, which comes Mm -hmm. from religion. It has roots in religion, but if you strip away the religious aspect and you look at giving away 10% of your income as an energetic contribution to the human race, you're just letting abundance Mm -hmm. flow through you because the way givers gain, like you put that energy out, there's the, the law of divine compensation. That energy is coming back. So you're not really giving out 10%, but you are because that 10% is gonna come back as 20%, 30% as different energy that's gonna help propel you. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. And just the good feelings and the the abundant feeling that come out of it, you know, just the feeling that, oh. I can actually give to someone and help them. It makes me feel so good that 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 happiness, that joy. I don't think you can put a price tag on that. You know, like it's just it's, it's priceless. And that itself will propel you because every single time I'm able to give money to other people, I'm like, oh, I want to make more money so I can give more money. You know, and so like that really propels me and 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 motivates me to work harder and make more money so I can give more.
0: So, what do you think the origin of? Conscious people being repulsed by money is? Is it biblical? I mean, in India, is money conspir- considered unspiritual? Uh, what are some of the things that contributed to conscious people just being kind of repulsed by money?
1: In India, I would say that it has to be. I don't know that much about the, the Bible. I know a little bit, but not that much. I can't comment on that. But I do know in Indian scriptures, there is a little bit of a sense that money is evil, just like a lot of religious scriptures might, might have said that. You know, I think one of the things that Jesus Christ said was that it would be really hard for a rich man, it would be as hard for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle as it would be something else, like something with the eye of the needle. And I, I remember that, that phrasing is so popular with all the rich people. They're like, you know, like, if you are rich, then it's, you're not going to get into heaven. I don't actually even believe in the concept of heaven or hell, but I really do despise the idea that just because you make money, that means you're evil, right? And this whole idea right now about Jeff Bezos being the most evil person on the planet just because he is a billionaire and uh, he has all this money and all that. I don't know anything about him. I don't know who he is or what he does in his real life. I have no idea except what the media feeds me. And so I don't know and I can't judge him on who he is. But this is what spiritual people do. This is what we do as people who are like, oh, right, he has money. He must be an evil person. Like He he just has to be a bad person. Or we hear stories and the media perpetuates this idea by showing the stories of people who are rich and they, they had a lot of money, but they did weird things in order to get more money. For example, Martha Stewart, like, you know, she was a billionaire and she still he still sees the system and wanted to get more money and so when you hear about stories like that you're like oh my gosh does money always corrupt people I would think the media and yeah definitely religion
0: I see um you know you brought up how there's people that have a lot of money and they're perceived as evil just generally because they have money but in from the Indian perspective spiritually, doesn't everything come from God? Like, isn't everything made out of God?
1: Yeah, it is. But for some reason, it's like everything is made out of God except money. As soon <laughs> as it comes down to money, it's like, you know, it's like, no, no, not, I mean, not money, of course. But yeah, like this water bottle here is made out of like God. And, and you know, I am God and everything is God except, yeah, except money. <laughs> so for all of us, like, it's like the only thing you are like, no, 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 but not money, of course. So I don't know what it is. I also think that I don't I don't wanna call it jealousy or envy, but there is this thing where in India at least there's so many people. I mean millions and millions of people who are so poor. So there's a huge divide in India between rich and poor. Extremely huge divide. Like there's lots of people who are extremely poor and some who are a little bit rich and then our middle class is growing but not as big as America yet. And so the divide can seriously be seen. And so if you're poor in India, you see the rich people and how much they have and how little they have. And there is a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a division that's created. Do you think it's and jealousy? And that division is perpetuated by media.
0: Jealousy, envy, do you think?
1: Yes. And also just the fact that, you know, it's like everyone's like, oh, it's karma? Like you must have done something in your last life. And that's why you're poor in this life. And you're like, you know, you're supposed to be learning a lesson or there's a reason why why you are the way you are. But then you start resenting, as an individual, you start resenting God and saying, okay, what did I do wrong that, you know, I have to struggle every single day to even get bread onto my table, you know, like just to get food on my table. Like, what did I really do? How terrible of a person was I? So, I mean, thankfully, like now where I am right now, I don't have to worry about this stuff. But I know a lot of my family back in India still does. They're still living in slums. They're still extremely poor. You know, they don't have running water and all that. And so, of course, you know, that idea is still there.
0: So from your perspective, what is money? Because I kind of perceive money as a neutral energy. So what, from your perspective, do you see it that same way? How would you describe the energy of money to someone?
1: I don't. Think of it as bad or good for sure. now. I would say at least. Let me talk about what I think of it as now, rather than what I thought of it before, because uh, obviously had negative connotations about it previously. But now I think of it as energy, definitely, definitely energy. And and actually, I don't think of it as neutral either. I think of it as a really positive energy. Also, of course, it depends on the person who's dealing with it because it is everything is tainted by the energy of the person touching it. So if it is money that's being touched by a person who has evil intentions with it, yeah, the money's going to have evil energy. Um, and if you are thinking of it in a positive manner, you have a positive idea with it, then yeah, definitely the positive energy is going to be translated into that that piece of paper because it is just literally a piece of paper. It's it's, it's an idea, you know. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't even have the backing of gold anymore like it used to in the past. So it's literally just an idea that man has created or humans have created, I should say. And we're just using it because
0: we believe in it. Right. So how can people change their frequency? Because so many people have got this programming, you know, from their parents and grandparents. And and over here in America, we do have a lot of programming based on the Bible because obviously, as you know, America has historically been a Christian nation. So, Biblical things are a big part of American culture and they say in the Bible that money is the love of money. Excuse me, is the root of all evil. But for me, it seems like the lust for money is the root of all evil. And if you want something to come to you energetically, you have to love it. Like if you want more abundance in your life, you have to love that abundance because you know what you're going to do with it once you get it. And how I feel like also, like you said, with the Jesus quote, um, rich man passing through the eye of a needle, it almost seems like a challenge, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be impossible. You just have to be the person that can do it. And I think that if one person can do it, then all of us can do it. What do you think about that?
1: I like how you said, it. Like it's a challenge. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what I think about that exactly. I would have to think about that for a bit. But I do I do think that whenever you are looking to create money in your life and to create a positive relationship with money in your life, you need to know exactly why you want the money. Like it has to have a purpose. It has to have a meaning behind it. It cannot be just for the sake of money. It can I feel like when people start thinking of Collecting money or hoarding money or having money just for the sake of having money without any particular intention for it or purpose for it—that's when it becomes tainted and, and can kind of turn into a negative system. It almost becomes but like a drug. You, yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think a lot of drugs can be used for positive or negative. Um, it depends on your intention. Right. So how how do you use it? What do you want from it?
0: You know. Right. Right. So. Coming from the perspective that everything is made out of God, so therefore everything is infinite, you're not going to run out of every anything. How can people shift from that scarcity mindset to the abundant mindset? Like what can we do to remove the fear of abundance?
1: I think it happens with every transaction with money that you have. Like every time you interact with money, you touch money, you deal with money, you have to bring that positive mindset into it. And I'm sure you've heard of this, Jake, like, you know, when you get a bill, thank the universe for it. Thank the universe that you have the capacity or the ability to pay this bill that, you know, you have these bills to pay that proves that you have money or that you're doing things in the world that are amazing. Or whenever you have the capacity to pay someone, don't. You know don't bring negative energy into it don't think oh my gosh uh oh, the bill i can't believe it i don't have enough money don't think of it in a way where wow i can't believe this i actually get to pay this human being who did this amazing thing for me or i got to buy this beautiful item and i'm going to pay for it and i'm so grateful for it so i think it happens with every single transaction and i think what happens with us is that we might do a few exercises here and there but then the rest of the time we have negative thoughts about money you know so it's like you're 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 filling your cup with negative thoughts about money, and then one or two drops of positivity, you're like, "All right, that should be that should be good. That should, that should take care of everything." And it doesn't work like that, you know. I think it has to be every time you deal with money, bring positivity into it, bring abundance into it. Try at least, because the try thing, the trial itself matters.
0: Right, like you said, just. Being thankful for the utility bill when the water bill comes in, Mm. think of how much energy it would take you to haul the 4,000 or 5,000 gallons you used that month. Like if you had to go haul that from a pond and bring it to your house, it'd be an incredible amount of energy. So that little bit of money that you put out, what a blessing that you only have to put out this little bit of money in order to use all this water. And thank God all these people are there creating the water stations and laying the pipes and doing all these things that we can have running water. Like you said, it's a different way to look at it, but that's how you shift your frequency. The boom is giving you techniques. And yes, I've definitely heard of that before because it's so effective. It's one of the things that really shifts your frequency away from scarcity and into abundance. It's a new thing because I think, Western culture, it's big, been a big part of Eastern culture, but I think that Western culture is really starting to wake up to the infiniteness of the universe and, and getting outside of just this daily material consumption. And, and the byproduct of that is understanding this abundance. Another thing that we can talk about is how can we help conscious people attract more money into their lives subconsciously
1: that's a good question i i have, I, have, I would say i have a little bit of a harder time with this question because there's this idea in the world and i know that this idea is apparent in a lot of conscious spiritual communities that you're supposed to get something for nothing um And I don't know if that's necessarily completely entirely true. Now, of course, this might be in opposition to what you think, but I just want to kind of clarify where I'm coming from. Sure. So I do have an idea that even if it's something that you've put in through thought processes, even if it's something that you've put in through your energy, if it, even if it's something to it, that you've put into karma, past karma, there is something that you've done in order to, to, in, to receive everything that you have right now in this world that you are in. You have created this world through all of your past actions, thoughts, and and creations. So there's nothing in your world right now that is a fake or a fluke or a coincidence or random. It has been created by you. So your subconscious thoughts, if you're going to be using them in order to create money, there has to be some effort that has to be put in in the background. You can't just sit down without having done any previous work, without done meditation or cleansing yourself on the inside out, subconscious work or, or conscious work. All of that other stuff. If you haven't done all of that and you just decided, okay, today I'm going to sit and I haven't done anything before, but I'm going to sit down and I'm going to create a hundred thousand dollars. I really don't think that is going to be very effective unless you decide, okay, I'm going to put in a little bit of work, maybe a few weeks. It doesn't mean that you have to work the rest of your life. I'm not saying that you need to work hard, but you need to do a little, put in a little bit of effort in order to get what you want. So I I know this might be a little bit. Contradicted to what a lot of people think, but I am a huge, huge believer in what you sow is what you reap is what you sow.
0: No, I I totally agree with you. Actually, it's totally in sync with my mindset because you can have those subconscious techniques which allow you to attract money in your life, but you're not going to get something for nothing, like you said. And Mm -hmm. if you're out there putting the energy in, you have to do it's like a mathematical equation, you have to put in something. In order for, to get a return, in order to manifest your dreams, you have to put in the energy, the effort, the work. You can't just sit there and try to meditate on your dream coming true and then hope it just falls out of the sky. You meditate on your dream coming true. You do other techniques, but you also have to do the nitty gritty work. And it doesn't have to be insane amount of work, mm-hmm. like you said, but you mm-hmm. have to be putting some sort of creative energy in, in order to expect a return. There, There's universal laws at play. And, and maybe we should talk about that a little bit, some of the universal laws that we've experienced. And there's universal laws at play that require you to put in energy.
1: I absolutely agree. And I'm so grateful that you thought you think this way as well, because I've had <laughs> arguments with people in the past where they do believe that, you know, all you need to do is sit down and everything should just drop into your lap, as you said. And I I really have a hard time with that because I'm not saying that you need to work as hard as my parents worked. They worked really hard and I'm sure your parents did as well. Uh, But I'm saying that you need to put in a little bit of effort and the laws, they're there for a reason. They're not there to deter us, but they're there to help us. If we understand them properly and you work alongside them, they can really lead us to huge, huge, huge uh, reapings. But without that, we're not going to be able to get anywhere. And one of the biggest laws that I, I think i already said it is the law of you know, action and reaction. Everything that is in your life right now is the result of something that you did in the past. Good, bad, neutral, whatever it
0: might be. Right. And let's uh, elaborate th- on that a little bit more. So you talked about that law. Another big law that people talk about a lot is the law of attraction. And that's something that <laughs> seems to be in a lot of personal development circles, it's in spiritual circles, but when people talk about the law of attraction, they usually act like it is a singular law, like it is the primary law, and there's no real laws uh, uh, that are applicable to the situation. If you just focus on the law of attraction, you can just attract anything in your life. But it's not actually the case. The law of attraction is just one law in addition to Mm -hmm. several other universal laws that you have to understand in order to bring more abundance into your life. And the law of attraction is actually kind of under the law of vibration, which kind of dictates you're only attract what your vibration is in harmony with like, right. So if you're constantly worried and you're constantly upset, you're constantly stressed out, you're going to be attracting those situations in your life because that's where your frequency is at. So, What would you say, Boom, about some of the other laws that you've experienced?
1: The law of attraction is a really good one, but also I I love the law of resonance. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but I love that law. It's it's a very esoteric law. It's not very well known. Not many people talk about it because the law of attraction is taken (laughs) over the world right now, which is awesome. I mean, I'm grateful that people are even talking about it. The law of resonance is pretty similar to the law of attraction, but it kind of thinks of it as everything on this planet, every every position, every asana, every word, every thought, everything has a resonance associated with it. And that resonance is in accordance to the universal resonance. So what is up is, what, is also what is down. I'm sure you've heard of that. That's a pretty, pretty popular law. And so the law of resonance is... is is based on that so whatever your resonance is it is also limited to what is the resonance in the universal scheme of things if you want to have happiness if you want to resonate with the energy of happiness all you need to do is tap into that universal happiness resonance however you do it and you will be able to to the to the to the, the law of up and down, be able to tap into it and be able to bring that happiness into your life. So the same kind of thing applies to money as well, because you, people imagine heaven doesn't have money. Well, if money exists on this realm here, it exists up there as well. It has to, because what is up is also down. It is not, it is like, it's a reflection. It's a it's a mirror process. We couldn't have money on this planet here if we didn't have money up there as well with the gods, the gods have. You know the gods know about it. Of course, <laughs> um, we're not the only ones. And so, if you want to resonate with money the way that the gods resonate with it, then we need to resonate with you know the gods' ways of looking at money. And so, of course, I, it, it's very very abstract. I'm sure you're all thinking, "Oh my god, this is so abstract." But uh, I'll give you some no, examples. Amazing. So, <laughs> um, for example, if you, I'm sure a lot of your viewers are, or all of them are, into yoga. And so if you want to resonate with love, one of the easiest way to resonate with love is to do Bhujangasana, which is the Cobra pose, the heart awakening pose. And so the resonance for Bhujangasana is love. It has that resonance ingrained into it. All you need to do is get into that pose and you start resonating with love. And then all you need to do is resonate with that universal love, godly love. That is up there. It's always around us, all over the place, and then you'll be able to resonate with love even more, with a godly kind of love. So it's also a lot of, you know, creative imagination using using your pravna, that they call it in Sanskrit. But you know, it's about getting into your visualization, realizing that everything that is on this planet here right now is also present in other dimensions and parallel universes. I hope I'm making
0: sense you are it's you're actually making incredible sense, and I'm just kind of absorbing it, being blown away. It's such a very awesome perspective. I have to be honest, I've never heard anyone say there's money in heaven before, but it makes sense as above, so below, you know you're saying what's up mm-hmm. is down, down is up. If it's here, it's there. if it's here, it's there. so what Bloom's saying is if you appreciate. Money, if you understand money in the way the gods do, you're going to come out with a whole new understanding and how to attract that into your life. But one thing I want to ask you, Boom, okay, look, it's pretty obvious that many, many people around the world, including me, including you, are tapping into this abundance consciousness. But do you think, my conspiracy theory mind makes me feel like there are suppressing, <laughs> there are suppressing forces that are keeping humanity from understanding this. Because if everyone on earth understood their true power, then we could instantly manifest heaven on earth. Do you think, Boom, that there could be some devious forces, some suppressing forces that don't want humanity to have this information?
1: I, I love that you said you're a conspiracy theory, because I'm a conspiracy theorist as well. I totally, <laughs> I totally resonate <remember> with that. <laughs> And um I I do believe that yes, there are there is the one percent that, you know, obviously wants if you wanna call it the one percent, there is an entity on earth itself that wants to make sure that we stay like sheeple so that we're not really aware of what's going on and we're not able to otherwise who is gonna do all the work, right? Who's gonna do all the grunt work? So yeah, that for sure that's there. But I believe that the the worst force, the most the most the evilest force that we actually have to deal with is actually within ourselves. And it is our own procrastination. It is our own disbelief in ourselves. It's our own doubts and anxieties about our capacity to do things. Because we have so much capacity. We have so much potential as human beings, but we do not take advantage of it because we just hold ourselves back. If we could really work at our full potential, we would blow the whole world apart. I really do believe that. Because I know you and I, if we'd really stopped, you know, if we stopped then process syndrome, if we stopped the, the doubts, we stopped with all of that, we would literally take over the world, right? And so I, I, I feel like, yeah, there's lots of evil forces out there, but really, first of all, focus on yourself. Are you actually sabotaging yourself, you know? And I know I do that all the time to myself, you know? Like, I am always, in certain ways here or there, consciously, unconsciously, bringing myself down. And so that's the first thing that I need to work on, is myself.
0: So what I've noticed, Boom, is when I tapped into the abundance consciousness myself and prosperity consciousness, I started studying a lot of these, what would be considered the 1% people, reading their books, looking at their lives, wondering how they achieved success. And I noticed that a lot of these people understand all these spiritual concepts all these magical concepts, but they apply them in such a way and then keep them from other people. But they are using these same universal laws, which I think is very interesting.
1: Yes. Yes, they are. They definitely, I mean, they wouldn't be where they are if they weren't actually tapping into it. There's, there's no way that would be
0: possible. Right. But then, so that, that's again where my conspiracy theory mind kicks in and says, wait a minute, <laughs> why aren't you guys telling everybody? But it's like you said, who would do the grunt work? And who would do the lower work that they're not willing to do? So they have to keep people in an ignorant state of bondage because otherwise, if, like you said, if everyone had the power, it'd be like heaven on earth Not within not that long, I would say.
1: No, definitely. But, you know, I wonder, I've, I've seen so many sci-fi things in which where, you know, they, they traced situations where there was heaven on earth. And human beings just couldn't handle it. Like it was too good and there was it was too much too much pleasure. And they just didn't know it. They couldn't deal with it. And I wonder if it's also that human beings need a little bit of suffering, need a little bit of strife, they need a little bit of pain in order to grow and expand as, as beings. I wonder if if we had everything perfect, if we would kind of a little bit shrivel up and die on the inside. I'm not sure, I don't know the answers that obviously. I do know that whenever I'm striving for more and I'm, I'm moving to I'm trying to grow, I am the happiest that I am whatever I am. So I actually am not sure. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's a big debate in spiritual circles because I personally feel like we're moving towards a heaven on earth scenario where we have all the technology, all the spirituality and we're united as a people but we're never going to get away from the emotional issues. You know, you break up with your girlfriend or boyfriend or partner, that's going to hurt. You know, you, you there's certain, yeah. certain things you're not going to be able to escape, but I feel like we can get away from conflicts where we're violently fighting with each other and hoarding resources and, and not united as one family as we should be. Yes. No,
1: I, I do agree with that. I really do believe that if, I mean, that's one of my things, but I do believe that if everyone meditated and kind of got over some of their internal subconscious ways that we do think, I do think that we would be able to get to a point where we weren't fighting with everyone. You know, we were a little bit more harmonious. We were working a little bit more with the heart and a little bit more with love rather than competition. I think competition is the thing that always... I don't know if it's necessary in the world, really. But of course, like, that's how the
0: world works. So, Well, I think, com- I think competition is based in scarcity because there is an understanding that if they're not at the top of their class, then they could lose the resources that they need to survive and then they would die and they're incredibly afraid of death. I think that's really the root of all <laughs> of it. Because they don't know any kind of God. They don't know that higher thing, whatever it is, that mystery. They don't know it, so they're just afraid of not having food and and a place to stay.
1: Yes, no, I agree. (laughs) But also, um, (laughs) the scarcity, like, it also comes from the fact that, like you said, from they don't believe that there's a life after death, because I, I do know that as soon as I realize and truly believe that, yeah, of course, I mean, this is just one life of many, and this is just one chance to do all of the different things that I want to or can do with my life, then... The pressure was relieved somehow. Somehow, I was like, "Oh yeah, okay, cool. I've got loads of time. I'm nothing to worry about. If I die tomorrow, then I'll reincarnate anyways, and then I'll have another life to do what I want to do. So it was no big deal."
0: Right. It's uh, a huge part of my personal spirituality, and you know, it was a part of even over here in America. You talk about the uh, Christianity and Judaism. It was a part of their religion too for a really long time, and they voted it out. So reincarnation's been a part of the human experience since day one. I mean, it's kind of makes sense. I mean, don't you think God recycles? Like, come on. Like, <laughs> like it's kind of it's uh, it's kind of a moot point, but I want to talk to you more about what we can do. What what can we do? What are some of the things that humanity needs to know right now to evolve beyond just abundance and and harmonizing with that. What are some of the other spiritual things that humanity needs at this moment?
1: I That's such a vast question, but I really, I mean, I know you probably would agree, but I believe that this would be a little bit of a weird thing, but connection to our faith, connection to God or faith in something higher beyond us I think would be a really powerful thing. Not religion necessarily, because religion separates us. And it's that other thing, the the idea of unity. I think, which is really important, to realize that we are all just one being, going through the motions and, and teaching the universe what they what the universe wants to learn. So just the idea of realizing that we're not against each other, because I am you and you are me. And it's such a it's such an esoteric concept, right? You're like, well, yeah, no, but i I'm, I'm a separate person. But I do realize the more I meditate, the more I connect to God, the more I connect to my guardian angels and all the angels around me. I noticed that that separation kind of falls away a little bit. Little by little, it falls away. And that separation, the more it falls away, the more I realize, ah, okay, cool, not only is my life going exactly the way I want, it's exactly aligned with God's will for me, if you want to call it that, or the universe's will, the universe's will for me, but I feel completely in alignment with everyone around me. Everything works out exactly the way it's supposed to for my highest good and for the other person's highest good. It's always a win-win situation no matter where I go. And that's the kind of world that I want to live in, you know?
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. And and like you said, opening up to that understanding of that higher consciousness, whatever that is, it's bigger than us. It's working through us. And we're actually all made out of it. Whatever it is, you can't really, nobody can really say what it is, except for the people that have passed on. They'll tell you directly. And, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we don't know it here in this third dimension We're we're just not aware, but we do, we, we've had enough experience as humans to know that there's something bigger than us. And if people integrated it, like boom says, you know, that's one more way that we can unite and resonate, you know, and get to that point where we're, we're just in love with each other, you know, which is coming.
1: Yes, I hope so. I really, really hope that I, I get to see it in my lifetime. But if not, it would be nice for someone in the future to be able to come back to us and say, yes, it is possible. It has happened in the future. I have nothing to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: okay, so let's talk about some of the authors and some of the writers that you've been exposed to that have helped you grasp this abundance consciousness. I'll throw out a few names that have helped me and maybe you can add on to the list. For me, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill was a huge book for me. The Science of Mm -hmm. Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles was another huge book for me. And Mm -hmm. um, anything really Earl Nightingale put out in relation to Abundance or just some of the first right off the top of my head really helped me. But what are some of the authors that you can think of that maybe helped you? The one
1: author that I'm really into right now, I'm reading a bunch of her stuff is uh, Sanaya Roman. I don't know. She's a very uh, unknown author, but some of the stuff that I've read by her, she's channeling. So basically, she's not the author. She's just channeling uh, a spirit um, Mm -hmm. that speaks about money. And um, if you're not a big believer in channeling, then maybe this book won't be for you. But the concepts that they express in this book are so aligned with the way I think about money that it's as if I would have written that book if I was a higher being. (laughs) when I get to be (laughs) a The book is called (laughs) Creating Money. Um, And obviously I'll share that with you so you can share it with your viewers. Uh, But it's such a good book. It it really is. It kind of really breaks it down into the nitty-gritty and tells you, again, this is how you're supposed to deal with money when you're doing this. And this is what you think about money and this is not how you should make money. It's really a great book from my perspective. Wow. Um, And yeah, I totally agree with your Think and Grow Rich and The Science of Getting Rich, both brilliant books. I also really love books on minimalism because I, I, it taught me a lot about money because I realized, oh, right, you don't need to have a lot of money in order to be happy because because you don't need a lot of things in order to be happy. Um, so minimalism is a big thing of mine with regards to money. And so anything by Henry David Thoreau or um, I'm sure you've heard of that book as well and any of the books with regards to um, working less and Working on things that really matter to you. Um, work, working on heart-centered businesses.
0: Think of that. They all resonate with me. Oh wow! I, I you know, we did have a channeler on uh, Jan- Janice Carey, episode twelve, I believe. She she was channeling Zeta Reticulans, and you're saying this woman. And what was her name again? Sanaya Roman. Sanaya Roman. S-A-N-A-Y-A. S-A-N-A-Y-A, mm-hmm. yeah. S-A-N-A-Y-A, Sanaya Roman. Now that sounds interesting. I want to go check it out. It's coming from somewhere. That information is coming from somewhere. She's pulling it from somewhere and it's benefiting mm-hmm. people. So whether you believe in channeling or not, whether it's something that you're like, oh man, that's I can't go there. That's okay. It doesn't matter. Just look at the information. If the information is going to benefit you, it's going to help you regardless. So just look at that information. And yeah, Napoleon Hill... Huge. Bob Proctor. Do you know about Bob Proctor? Mm, yes,
1: yes. And also uh, Wayne, Wayne uh, and Dyer. Wayne Dyer, yes. Wayne, Wayne Dyer, Dyer, yes. I really like his stuff as yeah, well. So, yes. you yeah, know,
0: these, these people are out there. They've been teaching people for decades, but yet for so many people, this is like brand new information. They still haven't been exposed to anything that have shed light on abundance consciousness. Maybe this is the first time on this podcast that they're ever hearing about this. Um, what are some of the tips that, let's say somebody's never really understood abundance consciousness, never really understood these things. What are some of the uh, points that you can bring to the table or, or some things that you could bring up that can help a beginner understand this?
1: Beginner understand abundance?
0: Maybe. Yes. Yeah, like that, that level of understanding.
1: Wow. It's so interesting how, you know, you learn all these things and you're like going back to the beginning. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's hard sometimes. Um, I would say, as I said earlier, to start off with the idea, to get over the idea that there's not enough in the world. Uh-huh. I don't know why this concept is taught. Like, why is this concept taught to us from when, maybe to perpetuate competition? Otherwise, if we do not have competition, no one would actually even bother going to university or college or getting a job and doing all that stuff that people do. But yeah, just a basic idea. There is more than, actually, so much in the universe that even if every single person had everything that they wanted and more, there would still be a lot more left over for everyone else to have more of. <laughs> if that makes sense. So there's there's enough in the world, more than enough. In the yeah, world.
0: you often see the the mantra or just you know on T-shirts or bumper stickers, "Live simply so that others may simply live." And it's good, like you said, to live in a minimalist way because it's like, what do you actually need versus what you have? But however we want to be careful because you don't want to program people that you have to live simply because there isn't enough to go around. Mm
1: -hmm. And like you were saying, Mm
0: -hmm. and there is enough to go around. And if you try to really factor in the equation that everything's made out of God and that God is infinite, then everything is infinite and you're never going to run out of anything because as humans, when we, need things, whether it's energy or food or some sort of resource, the resource manifests because the will, the intention of the humans is there. There's a desire for the need and the need is fulfilled. It always shows up most fear and most scarcity and all these types of thinking is usually based in the understanding that a certain thing is going to run out. And that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: I think that, do something that has to start with parents. And I notice a lot of my my friends who have young children starting to already indoctrinate the children into the idea, oh, there's not enough. You know, oh, no, if you buy this, then you won't have enough for that. And maybe, of course, I mean, maybe they are poor or maybe they won't have enough, but to constantly be perpetually telling the person, no, there's not enough or telling kids, children, you're already getting them into the mindset of, oh, right, okay, uh, there's not enough money and I always have to, to work really hard for it and no matter how hard i work there's never going to be enough so i constantly have to work until i die that idea like i think it should really start with the parents because the next generation if we could really get them to believe in the idea that there's abundance a lot of the problems in the world right now would be eliminated
0: yes i i absolutely agree and we really have to work on that newer generation and we have the resources we have the internet we have these classes, and we're going to talk about your incredible classes here in just a second. We have classes online that where there's all these ways for these, this younger generation to get this information so we can unlock the earth. That's what we're really trying to do. Like The earth is in some sort of bondage, and it's really just created by the human mind. And you could say there's nefarious people you know, with their competitive mindset, but really we're collectively just holding each other down. When we unlock abundance, that's when the freedom begins. And yeah, maybe it starts on working on the younger generation because they're the ones that are going to be manifesting the world as we get older.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And I see a lot of, uh, I'm really happy to do this. Actually, I see a lot of people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, ladies really awakening at the moment and coming into veganism and yoga and all of that beautiful stuff because all of a sudden they're realizing oh no i've been living my life all wrong all this time and i really need to understand and realize that there's a different way of doing things and i'm really appreciative because they a lot of them message me on my youtube channel and they're like you know i just realized that this is the path for me and i'm teaching it to every one of my friends and all that and i really think that it starts off with that one person who awakens and then all of a sudden they realize ah i am on the wrong path I need to start living a different way, and this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to teach everyone around me as well. That little, like little seed that sprouts, all of a sudden, everyone around them is also enlightened because of it, or is awakened a because of it. And little by little, it kind of goes further and further out. That ripple effect that we have spoken about
0: before. Yeah, and let's just hope that ripple effect works faster now that we have all this incredible technology. Let you know years in the '60s, '70s, and. You know, back in the 1900s, yes. it might have went way slower. Now everything's instant. So let's raise the vibration, raise the consciousness of the human as fast as we can with all this incredible information. Um. Okay, so yes. Let's, yes, absolutely. let's talk about your classes. So you have 29 books. We're going to go to the books after the classes, but you have 29 books, which is so amazing. But you also have these classes online. What are some of the classes and what are some of the subjects and how can people find them?
1: There's a bunch of different ones. I think I have eight courses. I actually don't remember now. But um, I'm building one actually right now on boundaries, how to create boundaries, how to work with boundaries, because it's a huge topic and such a huge deal right now in the self-care world. Um, But I have courses on procrastination, perfectionism, and creativity, uh, how creativity is related to sexuality. Uh, I have a course on how to build your own podcast which is kind of ironic <laughs> to podcasters here. <laughs> there's so many podcasts um, out there. Yes. Yes. And I, but you know, there's still only, I recently read there's only 700,000 podcasts in the world, which is not that much considering there's billions of blogs. So there's still lots of room for new podcasts, I believe. For sure. Um, yeah. So, so those are some of the topics, very esoteric and just random, just based on my own, Ideas of how to live the world, how to live in the world in a better way.
0: So, I guess based on that, I should ask you, I guess really briefly, how does sexual energy relate to creativity?
1: It is what is up, is what is like, what is down, and basically, our creative energy lives in different centers in our body, um, in the throat chakra, in our heart, and in our sexual chakra. And a lot of us, what we do is we focus on the creative energy and the sexual chakra by um, through the, through the use of sperm and and eggs, you know, basically procreation. But our creative energy can be transmuted and moved up using different techniques, different exercises, up into our heart and to our throat. So we're not just basically wasting our sexual energy away in, you know, ejaculating and explosive orgasms by moving it up into creative work. So living in our heart and working on our businesses that are heart-based, Um, doing things that really, really fascinate us and 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 we're passionate
0: about. So you're (laughs) saying that sexual energy is the creative force. It is the creative energy. And people, and if you notice, it's really interesting that in Western culture specifically, I'm not sure if it's like this in India, you can tell me, but in Western culture specifically, it's a hyper-sexualized culture. It's in the media, it's in the billboards, and it's almost like they want people to use their sexual energy in a way that's not creative. Therefore, it's a, mm-hmm. they're subjugated in a different way. But you're saying you can take yep. that, that sexual energy, re-channel it, move it away from the sexual experience, and almost mentally push it up into the creative space where you can channel that energy into creative things. Is that correct? Yes.
1: It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be celibate or that you never have sex again, obviously, which is a big myth that people imagine that, oh, okay, I'm channeling my creativity or my sexual energy into creativity. That means I have to become a nun or a priest or, you know, a monk. That's not the point of it, right? You have so much creative energy down in your sexual chakra, so much limitless potential there. But what we do is we waste most of it away in things that we do. You probably, everyone knows of the culture that we live in and so instead of kind of wasting all of it away we could kind of transmute a little bit of it up into all the other things that we want to do and I noticed that when I stopped wasting a lot of my sexual energy on all of those activities that I used to do in the past I I 10x my creative work like that's the reason I have 29 books it's not because I suddenly became really prolific randomly it's because I stopped wasting my energy on just random things like I used to. I was a major sexualized person. And so I kind of moved it away. And I was like, all right, no, I, I do love sex, not a big deal, but doesn't mean that I spend all of my energy on it. And so I kind of transmute a bit of it. And now I have so many courses, so many books, two podcasts, all of these blog posts, because I was able to use that energy in a better format.
0: What's a technique that a person can do to transmute that energy?
1: It's a very simple one that I mentioned in the chorus, which is to use your PC muscle. And the PC muscle is the muscle that you use in order to control the flow of urine in your um, sexual chakra. And basically what you do is you can do it as you want. You can stand there, relax, or you can lie down, relax, however you wish to do it. And you basically squeeze and contract, squeeze and contract your PC muscle. And you'll notice very quickly that there's a lot of sexual energy that's created there. You'll notice a lot of effervescence, a lot of heat. And basically, it's a matter of creative imagination. Move the energy up. You can actually even use your arms to kind of slow it up. You can actually use your imagination to slow it up, slow it up. And then mostly to the heart, which is the best spot for it. And then use that energy for something. Like, usually what happens is that like you get really excited down there. And then you're like, all right, I need to have sex. You know, I need to do something with this energy. Well, this time around, don't do that. You know, just calm yourself down and move it up and maybe write a poem or... Write a story or um, create something with your hands, you know, or do some gardening. Do something creative out of it. And you'll notice that your work is going to be 10 times better than what normally is because you're not distracted by that energy down there because it's been moved up a little bit, a little bit, a little bit at a time. Now, of course, the more you do it, the easier it becomes, right? So it is also a matter of practice.
0: Yeah, practice makes perfect because sexual experience is wonderful and as amazing as it is can be addicting, yes. especially for people that get, to get addicted to masturbation or just get addicted yeah. to having sexual encounters with hu- other humans. It's depleting that creative force. And you know maybe they have that addiction because it's so normalized in Western culture and they're wondering why their life isn't as prosperous as it could be and should be, but they're not right. realizing that they're expending their creative energy in that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's terrible because, like you said, our culture makes it normal, whereas it's not actually really that normal. If you look at any religious scripture or any old scriptures, you'll see that it's a completely different way of looking at the world.
0: Oh, wow. We've, <laughs> wow. This has been such an amazing podcast, Boom. I'm so <laughs> glad that you've been here. We're really enlightening people. We're really bringing people positive information. And now, I remember I've been listening to you so intently, and I remember you said— You had a class on podcasts, a class on directing creative energy away from sexual energy. And what was the third one that you mentioned? Procrastination. Procrastination. That's a huge one as well. Yes, let's talk about that right now because I've been meaning to talk about it for a long time, but I keep putting it off. Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, we should talk about procrastination because the procrastination is the thief of success. I mean, it's really is the most debilitating factor. So let's talk right now about procrastination because so many people have these great ideas, they have these great concepts, and maybe they're not addicted to masturbation. Maybe they have a way to <laughs> get that creative energy out, but somehow they're still not doing it. So because of procrastination. So what is procrastination and why is it holding people back?
1: You know, I I recently read that procrastination is actually a, is a kind of anxiety and it comes from either the fear of success or the fear of failure or fear of rejection, but um, mostly fear of success or fear of failure. And I think for a lot of people, it's the fear of failure obviously because you know, you might do it and if you do it, then what if you fail? <laughs> and so it's better not to do it at all and just procrastinate on it and be like, no, but tomorrow I shall do it. And then that kind of gives your mind solace that, oh, no, I'm not a failure. I just haven't done it yet because if I did it, I would be a success. So it's, it's the way our mind plays games with us. I love these mental games that we play with ourselves, these, these tricks and stories that we tell ourselves. So it's so something it's about the anxiety. The idea
0: Sorry, go on. I was going to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's something about the anxiety. There's an anxiety there that's holding people back. That's the root of procrastination. But I'm sorry, go on. What else is there?
1: No, I was just going to say that basically, like you said, we have to get back to that anxiety and and really dig deep into it and understand what are we actually really anxious about? Because I do notice for myself, as soon as I stop procrastinating and I get the stuff done, It takes me barely 10, 15, 20 minutes to get the stuff done once I get into it, you know, like usually it's a matter of minutes, maybe a matter of a few hours, but really not as long as I imagine. In my head, I'm creating this elaborate story of, oh, my God, it's going to take me three years and I'm never going to be done and I'll be old by the time it's
0: finished and, you know, la, la. But really, if you start, you'll finish pretty quickly. So do you think there's habits or techniques, because we keep talking about these successful techniques in order to help change people, is there habits or techniques that people can use when procrastination approaches and they're facing procrastination head on, but they know that that procrastination is there and they have to conquer it, otherwise they're not going to be successful. What are some of these techniques when procrastination is there? What's a habit or technique we can use to beat back that procrastination?
1: The one that worked really well for me is to minify the work into small, teeny tiny projects. So you have this huge project that's face you're facing and it looks like a, like the elephant in the room. You just don't want to deal with it. You're like, wow, I'm never going to get done with it. And so what you do is you break it down into these small little bite-sized pieces. And what I usually do is I do a Pomodoro, which is basically putting on a timer for 25 minutes and just doing work for 25 minutes on that big project. I have a huge project I'm working on right now. It's going to take me months to do it. But all I do with it every single day is I put on a Pomodoro, which is a timer, for 25 minutes, and I just do 25 minutes of work every single day on it. No guilt, no blackmailing myself, no feeling terrible about it. 25 minutes of work every single day. If I check that off, I'm good to go. And little by little, I'm noticing that the project is getting done, and I'm almost at the end of it. I'm like, wow, this is supposed to be months and months and months. But a little bit of work, 25 minutes every single day, and little by little, I'm chipping it away. And so, you know, you might imagine, no, 25 minutes not going to do anything. Well, not doing anything is not going to do anything either. So do 25 minutes every single day or five minutes, you know, just start with something small every single day.
0: That is an amazing technique. So you set this timer 25 minutes a day, and it's almost like you're giving yourself a job because now it's not you that's requiring you to do the work you've tricked yourself, you've tricked your brain, you've tricked your animal self. And it's the timer that's now telling you to do the work and you have to have the work done by the time the timer's done. That's such an incredible technique. So you're working on this big project, you're saying, and by using this technique, you're chipping away at it and, it, and it's working. So it's, it's unfortunate that we have to use these techniques in a way to conquer our mm-hmm. animal body. But that's part of the human experience, where these spiritual beings, or these light beings, living in a symbiotic, synchronistic relationship with this animal body. So we have to be aware of yeah. how to trick it, or kind of use these uh, what do you call them? Workarounds or uh, hacks? I guess that's the modern term. You mm-hmm. know, have, find these hacks in order to conquer what the animal body is trying to do as far as holding us down. So, you know, we're creeping up on uh, the last 10 or 15 minutes of the podcast or so, but I just want to ask you, is there, is there anything that you want to leave this audience with in order to help them achieve success? Is there any big points that you feel like this audience could know that could help them grow?
1: I, I think the main thing that I would want to leave anyone with, no matter where they are, is the idea that the universe sorry, not the universe, the world that we live in right now, society, is has given us the wrong idea that we need a lot of money in order to survive on the planet. Like we need to make millions and then retire and then you can enjoy your life after that. You don't need millions, you don't need hundreds of thousands of dollars even. All you need is enough money to do what you want to do with your life, which is live your life in that purpose-filled way. And I've noticed for myself, you know, I when I was younger, I was like, oh, so I need $25 million in order. I, I need to make $25 million in order to live the life that I want to live. And now I make barely, I don't know, it's, uh, hundreds of that or even less than that, probably thousands of that that I'm living the best life ever. I live my ideal life every single day I wake up and I'm excited to be alive. And I'm so, so, so alive in a way that I can't even imagine. I'm not saying that, and that's what the problem I think with the abundance mindset is also that you're like, oh, well, yeah, I need millions in order to be happy. Realize that this is a false idea that the society has taught you. What do you need millions for? Do you want to buy 3,000 planes? Like, what the hell? What is really going on here? What do you really want the money to do for you? Why do you want all that money? All of these are questions you need to ask, answer for yourself and figure out what is it exactly that you want to do with your life? Where do you want to live? What do you want to do? And how much money you need for that? And then work on that. And that simplifies everything. It has simplified my life so much because then I'm not constantly thinking about money. I'm not constantly thinking about, okay, where, what do I need? What, what, what kind of work do I need to do? I'm doing the work that I love to do i'm making a lot of money from it enough to feed me and to do all the things i want to do with my life and i know that if i die tomorrow i'll have no regrets at all right so i hope i've explained it properly but i really do i always tell people you know a lot of people ask me so what should i do you know how should i what kind of life should i lead? what should i do with my life figure out what you want to do with your life figure out how much money you need to do it and then do it like start start right now and don't delay because you don't want to be sitting on your desk bed thinking, oh, right, I didn't do what I wanted to do with my life. I
0: hope this makes sense. Yes, that made perfect sense. So, just to kind of elaborate on that from my perspective, so you decide what you want to do, your role, your passion, what you love to do. And then you figure out based on that, because that's your service. We talked about your divine service as a human being. We're here to perform a service, and the service is the summation of our talents and our life experience. And that's your service. Sometimes your service can make you very wealthy and even opulent, but it doesn't, that's not the goal. And that's not even really what you're thinking about. You're thinking about, I want to do what I was born to do. I want to do what is my service and what's going to make me happy and bring me joy and bring me that love. And you find out what that is and you're like, okay, so based on that, I need about a hundred grand a year to live, 80 grand a year to live, who knows, whatever that number is. And then you work on that because if you're working on this abstract number, like, like boom is saying 25 million and you don't even know why you need the money and you don't even know what the money's for, then the universe is going to get this scrambled message. It's not going to know how to translate what your needs are because it's always going to give you what your needs are as long as you ask appropriately. So if you're asking for the right thing in the way with your needs, You've, and you map that all out, then you will get that thing. I mean, you're experiencing it yourself. You're Like you said, you're living the life that you want to live.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And I, I don't think I would have gotten here if I focused on that previous society set goal that, you know, everyone has a goal. Oh, well, I need a million dollars, two million dollars. We have these random numbers in our heads. We have no idea where that number came from. Probably someone inputted it into our heads from school or from university. And so if I was still living that number, I would be living and working at a job that I did not like in order to make lots of money because that's what I was preordained I decided to do. But if I had if I hadn't realized that, but now I do and I'm not really worried about that big unachievable number anymore because I know exactly what my
0: number is, what my freedom number is. Oh, and that that's the freedom number. I guess I didn't grasp that yes. concept. That's once you get that number, <laughs> that's your freedom number?
1: Yes, exactly. Yes,
0: that's your freedom number. That's your. <laughs> oh my gosh! Boom. This has been an amazing podcast. I know where people were just meeting each other now. Me and Boom are has, have still not met in the third dimension. We're just now meeting in the virtual, <laughs> ethereal dimension. We're gonna have Boom back on. She's gonna come back on many times, and we're gonna help people understand abundance, prosperity, and how to be themselves their best sales, how to find their freedom number. And I just really appreciate you being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for all of your great questions. You asked such good questions. They really made me think I'm going to have to take a nap after this because this was really, it really, I really use my brain right now. So thank you so much. <laughs> it really was great. <laughs> well, it's
0: generous of you. It's a gift to our audience and it's going to be, Around for decades, hundreds of years, thousands of years, however long this digital information exists, it's going to be out there helping people. So, I want to go ahead and tell you, people out there listening, where you can find Boom Shika. You can find her at the Millionaire And she has online courses that you can find through the Millionaire And they're hosted by Udemy. She has a incredible courses that you should check out and of course she has the amazing 29 books which we actually didn't get to but well hey now we'll have something to talk about next time she has 29 books on amazon exactly. some fiction some non-fiction please check those out and boom please hold on the line while we play the outro music we're going to talk a little more everybody we'll see you next week